Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello. I am Simone Francis, a shareholder in the St. Thomas Virgin Islands and New York offices of Ogletree Deacons and a member of the Diversity and Inclusion Practice Group. With me is Randall Pollard, who is of counsel to the firm and based in our Washington, D.C. office. Randall is also a member of the Diversity and Inclusion Practice Group. Randall, welcome. I'm very excited to be speaking with you today. Thank you, Simone. I'm looking forward to this discussion as well. Before we launch into the substance, I'd like to set the stage by sharing some information about the Ogletree Deacons Diversity and Inclusion Practice Group for those members of our audience who may not have had the opportunity to work with either of us or other members of the group. The firm's Diversity and Inclusion Practice Group includes approximately 30 attorneys based in our offices throughout the United States and in London who collectively work with employers to create, implement, and manage diversity and inclusion programs. In addition to providing legal advice and counseling to support the development and implementation of programming, we assist employers with diagnostic assessments, including climate surveys and organizational analyses, and provide group and individual training to foster a climate that supports diverse employee populations. Today's topic, navigating legislative initiatives, economic incentives, and workplace tensions in the age of social protests, touches on an area that many of us have been grappling with, along with our clients, for some time now. As our listeners certainly have experienced in their organizations There has been no shortage of social issues during the past 14 months, which have impacted our communities. And as a result, businesses are being called upon with increased frequency to determine the right approach for their organizations to address these social issues. And of course, those determinations are impacted by a range of federal, state, and local laws, as well as broader considerations about workplace culture. And at the same time, we've seen a lot of legislative activity, particularly at the state level, that either impacts our clients directly or about which businesses have publicly expressed sentiments. Randall, I'm going to ask you to now set the stage a little further and provide some examples of how businesses have been responding to social issues that have dominated the news cycle over the past year. Thanks, Simone. We have seen a range of responses from starting with press releases or statements that are posted on company websites regarding issues, including police brutality directed to communities of color, racial intolerance, healthcare inequities, and the like. And recently, hundreds of corporations and executives released a statement in opposition to any discriminatory legislation or measures that would restrict ballot access. And of course, many companies have gone beyond statements and released advertisements on social media platforms or more broadly addressed social issues. We've also witnessed many companies announcing initiatives that would intend to help drive opportunities to communities of color, either by providing scholarships for the underrepresented groups 
or establishing other programs intended to provide opportunities for individuals who might not ordinarily have access to corporate pipelines. At the same time, these public-facing initiatives are generating other challenges, if not coupled with internal-facing efforts. Are there any considerations that you believe to be important in this area, Simone? Yes, Randall. Specifically, it can be important for businesses to remain mindful of ensuring that public-facing messages of commitment to social justice issues align with the manner in which the organization also addresses employee relations issues. On the one hand, businesses often look to their employees to serve as critical ambassadors to demonstrate the depth of a company's commitment to diversity and inclusion. But if public statements do not match operational realities, these same employees have at their disposal multiple avenues for amplifying their concerns about the disconnect between the corporate talk and the actual walk. And what we have seen over the past year is that just as women demonstrated increased willingness to come forward and publicly discuss experiences of sexual harassment in the workplace, which propel the Me Too movement, employees, customers, and other stakeholders of color are likewise demonstrating increased willingness to spotlight actions and experiences that may be out of sync with the public statements of corporations concerning social justice issues. Perhaps not surprisingly, and as you alluded to earlier, Randall, we have also seen corporations expressing positions on issues related to voting rights and other legislative initiatives. At the same time, businesses certainly are mindful of the value of positive relationships with state and local governments, particularly when those governments may also have or claim to possess the ability to take actions that impact the bottom line of companies participating in incentive programs. Randall, I understand that this is an area in which you had some experience before joining Ogletree Deacons, so I'm going to turn the discussion back to you to address these issues further. Thank you, Simone. As you alluded in a previous position, I was domestic tax counsel for a Fortune 300 company. One of my responsibilities was assisting the company with receiving economic incentives from state and local governments for expanding the company's operations throughout the country. State and local governments offer companies economic incentive programs or packages to entice them to expand or relocate to their jurisdictions. These economic incentives include tax incentives, financial incentives, and direct investment incentives. So let's talk first about the tax incentives. Tax incentives typically are tax credits, tax exemptions, or tax deductions. Basically, you're reducing the tax liability of the business in exchange for relocating to your jurisdiction. To entice the business to provide more capital investment in the jurisdiction, a government can suspend property tax collections and real personal property tax, and that's called a property tax abatement. For a certain period of time, delay the property tax assessment uh, in exchange for the business investment in the jurisdiction. Other tax incentives include sales tax exemptions or general business entity income tax exemption. Again, it's reducing the tax liability of that business. Financial incentives can include subsidized loans, reduced interest loans granted through a municipal bond financing or tax increment financing, or direct grant to a business from a state and local government entity. Direct investment, another incentive, 
is actually when a state and local government entity actually partners with a business and directly invests in that business. So they're actually a part owner. All these incentives are meant to create economic development for the state and local government jurisdiction. Economists have determined that one new business in a community can have a direct or indirect ripple effect for the economic growth for that community. These incentives are not granted without certain covenants and obligations promised by the business receiving the incentives. So typically, a state and local government is going to have a memorandum of understanding or some type of agreement with the government entity. The business promises to develop and or invest capital and hire a certain amount of people. And the state and local government can require the return of the incentive or the monies and proceeds back to the government entity if the business fails to meet its covenants. Randall, thank you for that explanation. I'd just like you to take a moment and provide an example or two of state or local governments taking back their incentives. I imagine that is not a position that any company would want to find itself in. Sure, Simone, exactly. Most businesses obviously don't want to give back proceeds or incentives that they receive from a government entity. But let me give you an example. So if a company receives property tax abatement in exchange for the abatement, they promise to build a $50 million factory and hire 100 people. And then later, the government entity determines through some type of audit that the business only built uh, a factory that was worth $25 million and only hired 30 people. So in essence, the business has broken one of its covenants. So the state and local government may be able to reduce the incentives granted or claw back the existing incentives from the business. In essence, the incentive granted to the business is like a contract with the state or local jurisdiction. The uh, the state or local jurisdiction gives the economic incentives and the business fulfills its promises of economic expansion. So here's a new wrinkle with all the social injustice statements that businesses are making. What if a state and local government seeks to retract economic incentives from businesses that publicly express positions on social justice issues? And we're seeing this. So one state legislature attempted to revoke a sales tax exemption on jet fuel from an airline that publicly denounced the state's newly enacted election law. Other state and local governments have threatened businesses that publicly disagree with the jurisdiction's laws or policies. This creates several questions for businesses and government entities. For example, should a business consider the economic impact of losing an economic incentive for public statements on social justice issues? So should they not say anything? Do government entities uh, that threaten to revoke economic incentives from businesses, do they take a risk that they'll lose economic investment in their jurisdiction and possibly uh, create job loss for their constituents? Outside of the impact on both businesses and government entities, there's also a question of enforceability of the revocation of economic incentives. That's a topic for another podcast, Simone, and it depends on many factors such as the state's constitution that created the incentive, the state law that created the economic incentive also and provides enforcement of that incentive, and whether there is a contractual agreement between the business and the state and local government entity. Those are very important points, Randall, so thank you for sharing that perspective. I believe that one of the issues that your comments highlight is the pressure that businesses face to view and consider 
these issues holistically and ensure that there's continuous dialogue among stakeholders within the organization about the approach to social justice issues and the messages that the corporation can make publicly. Before we sign off, I think it might be useful to spend a little more time focusing on some of the employment law issues that we routinely consider as a practice group when working with our clients on social justice initiatives, and really to consider that juxtaposed against the issue of whether and to what extent businesses publicly address social justice issues are issues relating to the extent to which organizations can or may respond to speech by their employees on these same political and social justice issues. There are a number of laws that impact the extent to which employers can regulate employee speech. And while a discussion of those federal and state laws is a topic for another podcast, we have seen a number of instances in which employees are taking positions about social justice issues, and companies must determine how, if at all, they can respond. And this, in turn, touches on a number of other considerations, including whether the employee statements are made in the workplace or outside the workplace, whether that speech in any way touches on the terms and conditions of their work, and whether it potentially impacts the company or is inconsistent with anti-discrimination or other respectful workplace policies of an organization. In addressing those issues, employers may want to consider and look at their existing policies and, if necessary, update those policies to make sure that employees are aware of the contents of those policies. A number of our clients have also implemented or augmented employee research groups, as you've seen, Randall, and also began sponsoring roundtables to provide employees with a space to voice concerns about social justice issues in their communities that are affecting them. And this can be one way in which a company aligns its internal practices with corporate statements. But before launching these programs, employers may also wish to consider providing training or guidance about having difficult conversations and about respectful disagreements. And certainly as in-person interactions become more commonplace for those employees who have worked remotely for much of the pandemic, It may be particularly important for employers to consider coupling the return to the workplace with training and policy reminders to ensure that employees have a common understanding of expectations for how to treat each other in the workplace, as well as an understanding of the various avenues for expressing concern about conduct that is believed to fall short of those expectations. Again, we're looking at various considerations on the one hand, companies making statements about social justice issues and the extent to which they do so considering uh, economic issues, legislative initiatives, and the like. And on the other hand, balancing the manner in which they address speech by their own employees about some of these same issues. But before we sign off, Randall, what are some of the other ways in which you have seen organizations put into action their commitment to social justice issues beyond making public statements? So beyond the social justice statements by businesses, as you mentioned, Simone, there's some other initiatives that businesses can uh, provide some type of social justice commentary without actually making public statements. Some of these initiatives include providing time off 
or publicizing the availability of time off for employees to vote, as well as providing time during the workday for employees to participate in community-facing activities to support social justice initiatives on a local level. And some employers have actually created programs in community schools to help raise awareness of social and environmental issues. Some companies have provided examples of their corporate social responsibility by donating to specific organizations, such as the Boys and Girls Club of America and the Humane Society, and encouraging their employees to volunteer their time for such organizations. So Simone, in, in addition to making those social statements, businesses and their employees can create social change through action. Those are great points, Randall. And as we wrap up, I want to thank you again for sharing your time with our audience today. I look forward to getting together for another conversation in the not-too-distant future as we continue the discussion about the practical opportunities and legal challenges relating to navigating workplace issues in an era of social protest. Thanks, Simone. This was a great discussion. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.